This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Our Monday show uh, on Saturday night, we recorded an episode with John Moxley talking UFC 253. So if you haven't heard that show, check it out. It was a lot of fun, especially fun to get John on twice uh, during the week. And it sounds like he's interested in doing something around the uh, the big UFC shows. So hopefully around UFC 254, we'll sync back up with him and do another sort of preview and then recap. And then, you know, we'll, we'll do it as long as he as he has the time. You know, he's a pretty busy guy as it is with uh, being the AEW world champion and all. But, you know, with the pandemic, just like everyone else, I'm sure he's doing a lot less traveling and he's doing a lot less shows. You know, he's not, not in Japan, obviously, right now for G1. So, you know, as long as he has the time and he has the interest, we'll be here for him. And I, I really like doing it with him. He's a, such a huge fan and uh, he has a lot of knowledge. Like, I think we, we both started watching MMA right around the same time. So, uh, like, our our memories are, are pretty close to, to what, what uh, when things happen. So it's kind of cool. And Justin, you know, we have Justin, he's a, he's a jujitsu guy. He's a real guy. He understands all that stuff. And plus he's also a, a UFC fan. So it, it worked out pretty well. Um, a couple of other things before we get to this show, the YouTube channel is, I, I've been kind of, I guess I would say slow on putting things on YouTube just because uh, YouTube for us is more of an awareness channel than it is a place to monetize. YouTube's monetization rules are um, a little strict when it comes to how popular the channel has to be and how many people listen every month. Uh, But you know, we, we put stuff on there from time to time. And what I'm going to start putting up there are our Rocky podcasts. I want those to sort of, you know, live on YouTube. YouTube's a great search engine. People will find stuff, you know, years after just because they're searching for, for certain things. And so, you know, we have it in a podcast feed with podcasts, you know, things kind of go go down the the feed there. And it's not as time. I guess it would, I guess I'm trying to say it's more of a timely thing with the podcast feed. So we did those over the summer. They're kind of gone uh, unless you you just find the podcast and you and you want to go through a lot of our old stuff and and download it. And on YouTube, it's sort of easier to find in that way. So we're gonna put all of those Rocky podcasts up, and we put the first one up. Uh, the this weekend, so it, because also because of YouTube's um, time limits, it's a, it, we had to split it up. So it's part one and part two 
uh, they only let us put up uh, about two hours, I believe. So anything over two hours, we kind of have to split it up. So uh, we'll start putting the rest of them, you know, probably one a week, Rocky two, three, and then all the way through the uh, the Creed series. And, um, you know, we'll also try to put stuff up with um, some of the shows that do very well uh, on the feed. The Dave Meltzer show that we did a couple weeks back when he, uh, he was talking about the G1, that is all of a sudden kind of really popular on YouTube uh, for us. Obviously, the, you know, there's channels that do tremendous numbers where we're still pretty small. So for us, it did really big numbers. I was kind of surprised. Uh, and, and then we just put up the Moxley interview that we did for the preview uh, last week. At some point, I'll put up the... Uh, the UFC recap as well with him. We'll throw it up there, even though that's a little bit, you know, th- those kind of things are a little bit outdated. They're they're not as evergreen because, you know, UFC 253 is now done. But, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try and figure it out. I, I do want to utilize YouTube a little bit more because it's such a great place for people to go to and, and check things out. Um, For people who were wondering if we were covering uh, the Clash of Champions WWE pay-per-view, I didn't. I, it was so low on my priority list this week because of G1, UFC, doing these shows with John uh, Moxley and Justin, and there was football today. My Giants failed in their attempt to make the playoffs. You have NBA basketball. The finals are upcoming. So this pay-per-view, which I, I thought was horrendously uh, set up, just fell so far down my list. I, I will try and watch a couple of the matches so that I can talk with uh, talk to John about them on our uh, Thursday show. So you know nothing from me here. But if you are interested, and in, you know by Thursday everyone will have their takes on it. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about it on Thursday. So what this show is going to be is uh, I'm going to bring John on for the first segment of this show and we'll talk the September 26 1992 WCW Saturday night which is actually a pretty fun segment for whatever reason uh, I don't know I just felt like we were really vibing uh, we, we, we pre-recorded this so it's not a, a live uh, thing but you know, I, I felt I felt like that segment was really good, and then after that, Justin and Carlos are back with another G one cast going over at night five of the G one. Chris Aiken already has his piece uh, up on FightGameMedia.com if you want to follow his writing, which has been great, and then uh, and then yeah, and also Monday today you should see. Ryan Frederick's piece on uh, the his, his MMA uh, Monday Roundup column. He has some sneaky tidbits in there, and I try to tease them out a little bit in in Twitter without giving them away. But he had a, a lot of you know he had information on certain fights going back when when the UFC was coming back to Fight Island that sort of came to fruition uh, a week later, and he's got some thoughts on this. Manny Pacquiao and Conor McGregor fight that is being rumored. Uh, so check out his column. He, he also recaps UFC 253. So, all right. So uh, before we get to my segment with John, wanted to talk about DoorDash. And everybody 
is pretty aware by now of how happy I am with DoorDash. It's so funny too because part of this as a uh, a service is is customer service and and so you know for those who don't know DoorDash is sort of the engine that uh you can order something and then there are drivers that go and pick them up and then they sort of deliver and drop at your door. Now, sometimes it, there could be a problem. You know, the restaurant could see the order incorrectly or the driver picks up something incorrectly and, and there may be an issue with uh, with the actual order. Now, that's, that's a frustrating thing, but it doesn't happen very often. But the thing I wanted to point out with DoorDash is they're so quick to refund your money and obviously if you if you if part of your order is wrong and you know you have this issue with it you can't it's not like you can give food back right the driver's not going to come back and and pick it up and take it back so you're sort of stuck with it but in in the cases where they're just they just flat out missed it they will give you your money back and you know customer service goes a long way for this kind of stuff uh dealing with other websites and stuff for online shopping in, in this same time frame it's been frustrating but DoorDash has been right on the money for us we actually used doordash twice this weekend so shout out to doordash but uh our listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter code blue wire that's five dollars off your um order and zero delivery fees when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code blue wire so check it out don't forget code blue wire for five dollars off your first order with doordash now let's kick it to john and myself talking about wcw saturday night it's wcw saturday night time uh the show is september 26th 1992 i got that right yep September 26, 1992, we are back to a normal show. We, we, we were on, on a little bit of a roll with the, uh, the one-hour shows that were interrupted by Atlanta Braves baseball, but uh, we're back to a normal show this week, and there's a lot of stuff going on in WCW. We mentioned last um, Monday all of the, um, all the stuff that was happening because you know I, I read off a lot of the news in the Observer, so lots of stuff is happening. People are frustrated. They're 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 setting up uh, Halloween Havoc, and I was surprised because I don't remember this, and maybe it's my fault. Maybe everyone else remembers this. I was surprised to see Bruno San Martino on this show. Yeah, because he was on the pay per view. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I I I. I remember him being in the pay per view. I know him do more WCW. You know, I fi- I felt like after the Clash Twenty, after he saw the uh, spin the wheel, make the deal mini movie, he probably should have punched Bill Watts in the dick. And oh that, man, he uh, he you know, had too much respect for Bill Watts. But um, maybe he didn't see it. Yeah, they didn't show the. <laughs> they yeah. turned him under. To, to the I, right. I mean, it, it's yeah. pretty clear that he's not really watching the product. No, you no. could sort of tell when he's talking about the guys. Um, but it was just it was just cool to see because I mean he's freaking Bruno Sammartino. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the wrestling itself is is good, you know. But well, he yeah. keeps putting it over as mm-hmm. like the best wrestling. Yeah, like yeah. he he mentions several times that oh you know where I came from, 
they, they disappointed me. So, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to be here because this is the best wrestling. Yeah, this is a favor, too, for I mean, it's a payday, obviously, but it's a, a favor, too, for Watts. Bill Watts, they had a, you know, money making program together and respect each other. And it's probably the same values. And, and they you know, he's definitely probably happy to come down and not just for the payday, too, but also help, a, a you know, Bill Watts, the man he respects. So uh, this show opens hot with uh, a pretty big match, which is Dustin Rhodes against Jake the Snake. Now, this version of Jake the Snake is a little bit of a smoke and mirrors version of Jake the Snake. He's not doing a whole lot. He's not moving great. And so Dustin is pretty much carrying most of the match, but you know Jake's still got the psychology. He still has the crowd eating out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Um and and they the what we haven't seen on this show is they literally start with like they get right to the action no introductions action starts so i thought that was interesting cuz we usually see you know the introduction the full entrance the and everything but this wasn't that they didn't even announce who was in the ring they just had jr and and uh and bruno talk mm-hmm. about it um and so my notes here was that a little slow early on jake is all psychology he's not moving great uh, he suckers Dustin into a little bit of a false sense of security by faking a knee injury. But Dustin's comeback is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, fans go nuts. And then he does the dumb baby face thing. <laughs> I had he that hits time. the bulldog. Jake is too close to the ropes, gets his foot on the rope. And Justin, Dustin celebrates like he won the match. And then Jake sets him up for the DDP, DDT and it's over. But... There were, you know, the Dustin comeback well, I thought was awesome. You're just watching this guy going like, I'm watching Dustin in this match, even though I didn't think the match was great, but you watch his comeback and you go, this should have been a future WCW World Heavyweight Champion. He should have been. I think he should have had like a little short run like his dad did, you know, a lot of times. Just a quick little four-week or three-week run, you know, that it didn't have to be long. You just needed to win it once. And, and um, but I like this match a lot other than the finish. Like you, I was like, oh my God, how stupid is... It's just, they could have done it so... They could, they, I think they they try to, like, we're going to protect you. Like, I think it's like, well, you know, you'll be protected, but I don't think it was protected. I just came out looking like an idiot. Yeah. It should have just been the big comeback. Boom, boom, boom. The you know, clothesline, all that stuff. He goes for the bulldog. You know, uh, Jake just slips out of it, pushes him towards the turnbuckle. He gets his, you know, Dustin rams his shoulder into a turnbuckle. He turns around, gets gutted, DT'd, one, two, three. It was okay for Dustin to lose clean here. One, he's losing to Jake Roberts, who's still a big star. Yep. And two, what they're going to do. I mean, he's Justin- the biggest star on the heel side. Yeah, yeah. Overshadowing and- the heavyweight championship. Yeah, he's the, he's, you know, he's coming off, you know, WWF TV, which is, you know, people remember him from that. And, and what they're going to do with Dustin anyways in the, in the near future, like, he's okay for lose this singles match with uh, Jake Roberts here without doing some BS. And, like, I, I was, I, was love, I wish I watched this show after I watched the Wednesday night shows because it would definitely help me feel better about wrestling. <laughs> I love the match. I love this. I call Yeah, Jake's carrying a little more weight than he did in, in WWF. And, you know, he, uh, he had a no-show problem many times for Bill Watts, and which, you know, I got really frustrated and eventually gets him fired soon but um you could tell like he's not the best shape but you know he's so smart mm-hmm. he plays that crowd so well he takes this he just just takes takes a beating the whole match and 
I mean, the crowd's just going crazy. This is a great crowd at Center Stage too. They were fired up. I loved, I loved this crowd. I love the kids in the front row just going having fun, going crazy. And he had, he had them. He had the whole audience, and people were going nuts. I mean, you, you could just see like just, just people, young and old, just going crazy. And it's just, yeah, man, this is good. This is good wrestling. Other than the finish, what I wish they would have tweaked a little bit. So we mentioned this last show, which is that the top rope rule is going to be changed. The DQ is uh, not going to be... It's not going to be called a DQ if someone jumps off the top rope. It's only going to be called a DQ if you... If someone is is not able to defend themselves on the mat and you jump with a knee, I believe, to the throat or to the like neck or face area, and, then yeah. that will be a, a DQ. But otherwise... This DQ role, which Watts put in to try to help the uh, the the heels Dang, with heat yeah. and dangers uh, of high flying again, yeah. And, and so that that is out. He he's finally done it. I, the the previous time he said, you know what, for this upcoming light heavyweight championship tournament, which is not going to happen, we're we're going to outlaw that rule. It doesn't matter. But now it's sort of not going to happen. And and they it's funny because he went into a lot of detail to ex- not only explain the rule but then he had a video with yeah. like footage of guys going like you know jumping off um, what, would, what would be legal will be illegal yeah yeah i, I thought that great. was actually really cool really good yeah because it's just you know he was he was trying to book it like a sport right and they would you know as, if the nfl had the same a rule change they, they would show highlights of past mm-hmm. the year before so what was now illegal and what can be legal now so um so, yeah, no, I thought this was really cool. I liked it. And it's like, it's Bill Watts' way of, you know, being able to show failure, but not not really, you know what I mean? Like, he's going to admit that he it was a stupid rule in the beginning, the beginning which probably should never done it. But so he was able to stay kind of, for him, save some face with, oh, well, we're still going to make this legal and, you know, met in the middle there. So, it was, but I liked, the, I liked the video. It was good. All right, Doc and Gordy face Larry Santo and Chris Sullivan. Uh, Doc wins the match with with Stampede. Gordy's, I don't know if Gordy was on something, but he was kind of weird in this match. Um, so this is where I, I, I knew that Bruno didn't really watch because Doc wins with the Stampede, and Bruno's like, oh, yeah, the the power slam. Okay, that that's what he uses for his well, finisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Gordy's a little fired up, and we'll 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 see shortly here why and what happens to his career in WCW. So, uh, but yeah, he was, uh, but he looked great though. I mean, he was, you know, just energized and Santo and Larry Santo and Chris Sullivan actually decent uh, job guys and do well. Even though I, fuck, Terry Gordy almost broke Chris Sullivan's hip with Jesus. that body slam. He yeah. just like, you know, because Sullivan, does, I mean Sullivan. Uh, Gordy does that one-handed body slam, but it was like, he usually holds the guy up and then slams him. He just kind of like whipped him down and, you know, Sullivan survived. But I liked the squash match. I thought it was really good and and uh, they looked awesome. Here's a question. Terry Gordy, great promo. Like way better promo than Dr. Death. For sure. I know that their career, their livelihood was all about being in Japan. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if anybody ever broached him and was like, hey, Terry, we need somebody, you know, we got Sting, we got Vader. 
we need somebody else in the singles, you know, ranks for the the possibility to to win the title. I wonder if that he was ever broached because he does a main event world heavyweight championship style promo. I, I don't know if I would have you know given him the bank account because obviously he's got his own issues and and uh, you know I, I think I think those were pretty clear by then. Mm-hmm. But just watching him promo and watching him be a badass in these matches, I just wonder, like, how come he was never chosen as a lead dog for one of these companies? Um, I think there was discussions of that, but then he ended up, you know, he's also the, he didn't ever want to leave Mike and Buddy for a long time until unless he went, then he went to Japan and he had a good deal in Japan and, and, you know, he was happy there and he was doing well there extremely well and then he you know almost died twice for overdosing mm-hmm. and stuff which 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 meshed him up and he was never ever true the same as he was in 90 so when he when he had the overdose but um he had two i think yeah he did it too and then um and he looked good here but he was still never the same and he and it got just kind of got worse as you know, remember how remember how um he came back as well as an executioner he, he couldn't be terry gordy obviously in the mass but um, you know, he was, wasn't the same as Shell himself, but I don't know if you remember this, but he showed up in ECW 97 and him and Raven had a really good television match. And everyone's like, oh damn, Terry Gordy's back. He's back. And that's how he got hired by WWF that they saw mm-hmm. that match. Um, but, um, it was just more Raven than actually Terry Gordy at the time. So I know I like, I like both these guys a lot and, you know, they make a great team and Cordy can not only work, he can cut a promo and Dr. Death, even though he's not the best promo, but God, he's just such a badass. You can, he can, you know, he can say blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh damn, he's going to kill us. You know, he's just so intense. So no, intense. totally. No, is it, he's like, he's one of those guys just, you can't do, you can't say you're going to be this guy. Cause you can never t- be him. You can never, no one can ever be the macho man. Right. No one can ever be that guy. And no one can ever be Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Maybe that's uh, Jay Lethal's next impersonation as Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Oh, Get on that, Jay. Because he, he does a good macho, man. He does a good Ric Flair. Ric Flair, yeah. yeah. All right, so th- they did something interesting where they showed Tony Schiavone, Cactus, and Barbarian doing a localized cable promo. They even mentioned the cable company. I don't remember what it was. And Ron Simmons interrupts the cable promo or the the promo for the cable company uh, for Halloween Havoc and cuts a promo on Cactus, on Barbarian, and for Butch Reed for no-showing what was going to be the main event match, which is Butch and the Barbarian against Ron Simmons and Barry Windham. And we mentioned Butch Reed on the last show, just they fired him because he kept no-showing. But I thought this was an interesting way to do this where they're pretending that they're doing a localized promo and then Ron Simmons cuts in and and fires up. I thought I thought Simmons was uh this I thought this was you know Simmons's best promo from what mm-hmm. we've seen. Yeah. He was on fire. He was so pissed off. He was ready to fight. It was awesome. Yeah, this is what we've been wanting from Ron Simmons. Anyway, this is the different from he's been doing for weeks now, the old we're going to give it a good best. I'm going to work hard for the fans and this and that. You know, this is just like, hey, let's fight. I'm ready to do battle, you know, bring whoever and let's get in the ring and do it. And yeah, this is cool. I like this. I like this. I like them being creative like this and using different kind of segments to, you know, build up matches. Yeah. 
All right, so we could see Shane Douglas again. This is kind of cool because I don't actually remember what happens to Shane Douglas uh, just over the you know the the next several months, but Babyface Bruno's putting him over because they're both from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. He oh I, I I've known Shane Douglas for you know I, I forgot what he said. I was like mm, I, I don't know if I believe that necessarily, um, but uh, wins with the belly to belly again looks awesome. I mean he he's the ultimate white meat up and coming baby face here. Well we know who inherited uh his ring gears, Jeff Jarrett for sure, right? Like the, <laughs> all the, the big white jacket. So yeah, he looked good. Yeah, this is perfect. Good stuff. This is you're building a guy up. Ain't he great? Ain't he Yeah, no, I liked it. I like this and everything was perfectly well done. Easy uh, textbook stuff. To build up a, a new baby face coming up. So then we get a pretty fun match that was kind of short. Like I, I thought, you know, this could have been a main event on on other shows, which is Beautiful Bobby against Brad Armstrong, because we've seen Beautiful Bobby with Arn Anderson, and they're mm-hmm. like killing everybody. Like they're legitimately beating they're they're beating the Steiners. They're they look like they're on their way, and I you know I, I won't spoil it, but they are on their way. <laughs> and here, Beautiful Bobby gets gets a match with Brad Armstrong and um, Brian Pillman is there to do play by play or color. And Jr. is killing Pillman. This whole, the whole thing is just Jr. So ashamed at Brian Pillman for slapping Brad Armstrong, who's such a nice guy. And Pillman is getting over his heel character. Yeah. Disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pillman's getting over his heel character. He's, you know, he's kind of, you know, figuring out his chops there. And then Armstrong just wins with the the Russian leg sweep and and Eaton loses. I was kind of surprised that it happened that way because, like I said, I I know that Eaton and and, and Anderson are kind of on their way to to doing something. But uh, I guess it makes sense in, in, in a way because Eaton doesn't really have to win this match because he's not a singles competitor. It should have been someone else though, uh, a lower level heel like Dallas Dallas Page would have been yeah. fine at this point. But yeah, yeah, no, I. I that was weird too. The match. I mean, I was happy with the match though. Oh, cool! Bobby Eaton versus Brad Armstrong. I love both these guys. But yeah, the booking of it was a little, little strange. Um, but uh, but yeah, good match. And it's just basically just a backdrop for Pillman to get over his issues with Brad and get over his heel character. And and that's def- the match on the next show, right? Uh, yes, I believe. Yeah, they have. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Well, <laughs> if it's the match I'm talking about, if it's a match I'm thinking about, because they have a couple, they do have a couple, and I could be mixing up stuff with Clash and all that, but they have a few that are some are short, some are long. It's it's, but they're good matches. And then the next segment is uh, I don't even know why they included this thing is, is because they basically edited out Kintsuki Sasaki and Rick Rude, which they've been promoting, mm-hmm. and they're going to show. And so Bruno spends. Uh, a few minutes putting over Japanese wrestlers and sort of how they train and the levels that, that they kind of go up and they earn their dues and everything. And then he's building up this match with Sasaki uh, and Rick Rude and they don't show it at all. So you just go like, and it's a good jump, match too, dude. Jump cut to JR talking again. So I was like, ah, oh, like why did we even waste time with Bruno talking about this? Match? And they could have cut that out and then we didn't want to worry about it. But um, it sucks too because it's a good match. I remember rewatching this many times because I didn't really have access to Japanese footage then. And so anything from Japan, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And Kensei Saki, I really like because he was just, just jacked, fire, you know, powerhouse and, you know, explosive. 
And uh, this is bummed. I was looking forward. I think I wonder if that match is even on the New Japan World. It's, hmm. Yeah, it's, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it took. I mean, they have all if they have all the G one stuff, and it should be on there. But and okay, you talked about Wednesday night on our last uh, the 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 show that we just did. I think Nikita Koloff and Vinny Vegas was worse than anything that we no, saw. It was too bad. Was, this match sucked. It wasn't bad. These guys were not on the same page. Vinny Vegas does not want to be there. He doesn't want to be taking the Russian sickle. The like, sickle looked good. The sickle looked great, but he he I I don't know. I just felt like you know, we talked about this. Vinny Vegas just his his whole opinion on wrestling at this time. Uh, Kevin Nash, obviously. I don't know. I just thought that this was like Vinny Vegas looked like he was being punished. Like well, that's he, that's what his mentality is. I this think match. he was wasn't as it was Watts who talked him to stay. He was gonna quit and get out of the business. It wasn't for him. And it was Bill Watts who talked him out of it, said, No, you have potential with the guy of your size, etc. So maybe he was, you know, in that mentality at this point where like I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. this is I'm finishing up and but I thought the match was fine for what it was and um, yeah, it's sort of there, there are some issues, but I think it kind of settled in and um, you know, it wasn't like it was a, it wasn't supposed to be like a thrilling match because supposed to, you know, because Nikita's definitely a higher level than Vinny Vegas. So I, I liked it. I thought I thought the finish came out pretty good. The side slam, the elbow drop by Nash. You know, his his you know, they, they they focus on his strengths and and I like the finish how he just came out with a sickle and pinned him. So all right, so now Tony Schiavone talks to Bruno Sammartino. <laughs> everyone's talking to Bruno. We got we got him for a team. We got it. <laughs> everyone's talking to him. And and we we've mentioned in the past that this is something that Tony's really good at. Like mm-hmm. Tony, as an interviewer, when you sit down, you have a conversation. This is really Tony's strength. He talks to Bruno. Bruno takes some shots at WWF for doing the kind of wrestling that he does not enjoy. Um, and really what the segment is, is for Bruno to put over Ron Simmons as a Bruno Sammartino like person, like, like champion. He's a hard worker. He takes care of his family. And so Bruno is basically trying to compare himself to, to Ron, to, to put Ron over this, this version of Ron, like, like we've been mentioning, not the best Ron. The Ron who yells at Cactus Jack and and the Barbarian is the Ron that needs to be the one that's being pushed. But I don't know that they're trying to figure out what what the, what to do with Ron, and I don't think this is the right way to go. And you got Bruno promoting Ron and put him over, and he's the anti steroid guy. And Ron's mm-hmm. like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, this poster child for steroids. And so. Ron is gigantic. Yeah, so. Um, it was exactly what it's designed to be. He'd put Ron over and get some association and the stamp of approval from a legend. And I was fine with it all together. I mean, it was cool. I just I just don't know if... And, you know, they've already shown Ron's wife, so we know he's married. I just don't know if Ron Simmons, the family guy, is the guy who's going to make money for WCW. Yeah. And it, their potential was there. I just think they didn't have... The right contenders for him set up. I yeah, mean, like that's we, true. We we talked about that for weeks now. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Okay, so um, next segment is <laughs> oh man, the, talk about cutting out a segment. This awful Van Hammer music video. Like, I guess it's cool if you watch it once, but it sounds like they were showing it on every TV show, and it's they really did. just. 
it's just kind of bland. There's nothing really about it. A L- little slow. Like, you know, we know that Van Hammer's like, you know, not a real uh, music artist or anything. So th- they play this video leading into his match against Kenny McDonald. And Kenny McDonald, he flexes when he gets introduced and he looks like what you would imagine a Kenny McDonald would look like uh, as an enhancement talent. And uh, Van Hammer wins with really kind of, kind of a pretty cool slingshot suplex. I still love that. I still love seeing that, Uh, but he wins with, that's how he wins the match. What was up with this kid? This Kenny, Kenny McDonald, like, (laughs) and, and, and poor uh, Van Hammer is too green. Not, not understanding. Probably should just beat this guy up because Mm -hmm. he's just falling like an idiot, looking like a goof. I'm surprised Bill Watson didn't go in there and start beating him up. Um, and it looked like garbage. What was he doing? It was so, yeah, it was like, it was, it was like he, he was going out there to have a bad perform, performance or standing out, but he did keep his legs straight for the single suplex. So I give him credit for that. But, uh, the music video, oh man, I hated this. And I they hated played it this. so often. They played it like every show, every time I watched it. And I watched all of them. So I saw it and it was like, just end it, you know? And it's just his theme song. <laughs> Yeah, we've, heard, yeah. we, we've heard since 1991 when he debuted in, I think it was September or August 91. All right. So Doc and Gordy, um, they talk about defending their titles next week. There's no contender that just somebody, somebody's going to, going to face them and they don't really care. They're, you know, they're just like, eh, we'll, we'll be ready. We're the top tag team. Uh, Doc, his voice is a little shot, but this is where I saw Terry Gordy and I was like, yeah, this guy is like really good, and he should have he should have been uh, a champion, a singles champion somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, for sure. Like he's, I mean, he was he was a he's all Japan Triple Crown champion. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in, yeah, in, in, United in States, the U.S. Obviously. in the United States, yeah, yeah, a lot of, like oh, their big run in the United States with, with world class. UWF Mid South stuff, but they're always a trio. But no, but he had the, he was a UWF champion. Yeah, so he had uh, Watts knew how to book him as a okay. Single. But but if Halloween Havoc is Ron Simmons versus Terry Gordy instead of Ron Simmons versus the Barbarian, I think it's a better sh- that's a Hell, way better main event, dude. I'm, I'm with you on that one, bro. I'm I'm with you, but I don't know. Uh, no, he well, I don't want to spoil anything, but he does. Do a job in WCW. Um, and, yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think we'll get I, to it. I would love to see that. I would love that. I would love to see that match for sure. Yeah. Um, I was. I, got, I can't get confirmation of. I'm looking on as we're talking here. I just want to know if Ronson is still married to that sweet young, that sweet woman at the Clash Twenty. I can't get confirmation. What, was that his real wife? I don't know. I was trying to find out, but no, there's no record. So. She gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the main event of this show, which was originally supposed to be Ron Simmons and Barry Windham versus the Barbarian and Butch Reed. Butch Reed, nobody knows where he is. He's still not at the building. I I, I don't know. At some point, you you need to go find him. You need to go. Somebody needs to go pick him up and and bring him to the building. (laughs) Maybe he's somewhere stretching. No one can find him. He's he's getting he's stretched out. They're like, dude, you you, you missed the match. We not supposed to, you're in the wrong building, but you gotta come to the, like, the center stage. Center stage, so, not the right stage. 
so I skipped I skipped one segment, which was right after when Bruno was talking about Kintsuka Sasaki. They did an interview Jake, and Jake basically said that he was going to be the replacement for Butch Reed, and he's got the snake out there and uh, you know, he's it. slapping it, <laughs> and is like, I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? No, th- th- you can't be damaging these animals, um, these reptiles. But uh, that was, I mean, it was what. It, it, it was what made him feel a little bit more real than everybody else's. You you have a dude out there playing with a snake and slapping it on the top of the head. You're like, okay, I would never do that in my life. No, I, I hate snakes. Yeah. I'm Indiana Jones, man. So what did you think of this match? I liked it. I thought it was a good match. Um, you know, DQ's finish, I expected, because you're not going to beat any of those guys, right? And um, But the accomplished its goal. It was a hot match. The crowd was big time into this match. And I loved it, man, because when pro wrestling is going good, don't matter what color you are, what age you are, everyone starts cheering and having fun. And I was enjoying, there's these cute little two little girls in the front row that are just going crazy. Um, there was, you know, older grumpy white men jumping up and down. <laughs> there was, uh, you know, it was just beautiful, man. I, I liked it. I was, I was, it made me, it made me happy in a time that's so chaotic right now in our life today in 2020. It was a happy moment for, I just like, I just enjoyed that part of it. And I enjoyed what they did. The goal was to get Barbarian over as a serious mm-hmm. contender. So he's no selling everything for the most part. He did sell for, and he took just some moves from Ron Simmons, but he popped back up. He was able to lay out Ron Simmons at the end with the big head, butt. um, give, I think he gave Barry that big, great big boot. And Barry always takes those boots so well. Um, yeah, so I thought this was well done. I mean, it made me personally maybe like, oh yeah, man, I, 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 I want to see this match with Ron Simmons and Barbarians, and I remembered it. But so they they definitely faced off a couple times, and people and, were into it though. At least at center and, stage, they were. And, and yeah, and that that was kind of the theme to the match. You want to see those two guys face off, and then so the DQ happens, uh, bad guys come out, and then good guys come out. This is the part I didn't like. Barbarian goes to the top rope and he's about to I forget who's who's laying down. He's about to lay somebody out. Van Hammer stands in front of him as if to say I like you you cannot jump off this top rope because I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> of all people, it's Van Hammer. It could have been Dustin who's out there cuz obviously cuz of Barry. Well, he had a neck injury. <laughs> but it, but it could have been it could have been somebody else other than Van Hammer of all people. What well, the hell? It could have been one of the Steiners. I'm pretty sure Watts sees. Was Steiners there for this taping? I don't, know. I don't think I don't they know. were. Um, but I think Watts saying, "Okay, you know, you got a guy like six foot four, jacked. You know, like he at least looks like he could." Back then, you thought what tough guys looked like, right? A big muscled mm-hmm. up jack guy. So I could see Watts is thinking, you know, it wouldn't be a Brett Armstrong, you know. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's where they ended the show. So it was it was a hot ending to this show. You had people ready to face off, but uh, but yeah. So we, I mean, we're still how many weeks until Clash of Champions? I mean, not Clash of Champions, uh, Halloween well, Havoc. Because next week's the first. First show in October, so if what in the October is Halloween Havoc's on the I think this year in '92 was on the 25th or 26th, so you got four weeks. I'm excited for next week's show because it has one of my favorite television matches on it, so I'm excited. Oh, wait, well, well, you should tease it. What is it? It's the tag team title match between uh Dr. Death 
Steve Williams and Terry Bam Van Gorey versus Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. I really loved that. I remember loving that match. And it's my style. It might not be a lot of people's style. Kids might not be into this day, this day and age. They probably too many holds, but no uh, hurricane runners. Um, yeah, no, no, no dives no out. Indie kick, step up indie insecurities that you know you do on the ropes all the time. Or <laughs> no shining wizards or or drunken elves or anything like that. You know, just just good old Smash Mouth wrestling. All right, so uh, next week we will have that first October show for 1992 WCW Saturday night. Gosh, we're only like three more months and then we're done. We got to figure out what we're going to do for 2021. Take a break. And then, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I think at least a month break, people. We got to see. Yeah. All right, we are going to bring Carlos and Justin on to talk about some G1. But before that, we got to talk about Bet Online. What a great football day today was. Now, depending on if your team won or lost, uh, and by today, I, I do actually mean Sunday night. I'm recording this on Sunday night. Uh, you're listening to this on Monday morning, but Sunday was a really good day uh, of football. A lot of really high scoring and, and entertaining games. And, you know, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Uh, they're going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Get in on their season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And, you know, if you're into the NBA, Lakers and the Heat kicks off on Wednesday. Great opportunity to put some change on uh, whichever team you think is going to win the series or, you know, props or, or, or any kind of uh, things that they have at Bet Online. So don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Thank you, Garrett. Yo. Hey, it's Justin. Welcome. Welcome back to the G1 Cast. You're listening to G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. Do I sound different? I'm using a new mic. I'm using a very special microphone that was used by Dave Meltzer. That's right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Garrett. I hope I sound fantastic. I think I do. All right. Okay, enough about that. Day five of New Japan's G1 tournament was last night, a couple hours ago, from Hyogo, the Kansai area, Dragon Gate Land. And today we got a fantastic card headlined by Jay White and Kazuchika Urakata in the end. Um, I wanted to say this card contains my match of the tournament so far for sure so yeah for sure i think so please listen uh, a little later on we'll talk about that later but um also today carlos shares with us he has some interesting stats about wrestlers in the g1 from 2000 to 2020 who started off 3-0 and and went on to win the g1 climax i had a hard time uh naming all of them i only got one out of three that's later on in the show too 
Um, uh, th- this is Sunday edition, so we're going to also go over uh, this week's episode of New Japan Strong, um, which was the kickoff of the Lions Break Crown Tournament, which was really cool. And we're going to talk about that later, and we're going to touch on some of the All Japan Champion Carnival uh, tournament that is going to wrap soon. I think next week or October 5th, I think, are the final dates for that. So we're going to get you up to speed on that. But before we start the show, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the card. Okay, so last night's card from Hyogo. At the top, we had Gabriel Kidd defeating Yota Suji. In the first block match of A block last night, we had Taichi going over on Yujiro Takahashi. Next match, we had Minoru Suzuki defeat Jeff Cobb. After that, we had Kota Ibushi defeat Tomohiro Ishii. Semi-main, we saw a rematch from last year's Best of the Super Juniors with uh, Shingo Takagi defeating Will Ospreay in his ex-Dragon Gate territory. And finally, Jay White walked away with a win after beating Okada once again in a match that was around 19 minutes. It was very good, but we'll have to talk about it more later with Carlos because there's a lot of details we have to work out with that. Um, if you need to or want to get at Carlos, he's on Fightful.com, and you can find him on Twitter at Carlos Toro 360 and I'm on Twitter at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, on Twitter as well. So then, with that out of the way, let's get started. Hey, it's Justin from Fight Game Media. I'm here back again with Carlos for day five. Yep, day five. Day, whew, I'm, I'm losing track of the day, day four or five, but this is the fourth G1 cast covering day five of the G1 Climax number 30. I'm here with Carlos Toro on Sunday. We're both a little tired, but we're <laughs> excited to talk about lots of fights and wrestling from this weekend. And we're going to start with G1 last night from Kobe and Hyogo. Uh, so the first match from last night was the what we're calling the the G two or the uh, what was the other one you gave me, Carl? Was the the, um, the unofficial C block? C block, that's right, C block. So C block match between uh, Yota Suji and Gabriel Kidd, the Young Lions. And I thought this of their series of matches over the past couple of weeks. For me, I thought this was this was the best one so far, including the ones with Yuya Uemura. I thought. It, Gabriel Kidd uh, won again. He won with a uh, Billy Robinson style butterfly suplex. But there was a lot more going on in this compared to the other matches that they've had. Did you notice anything or did you like or dislike anything about this particular match, Carlos? Yeah, I mean, this match, at least maybe to me, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this match was more, especially the first half, there was a lot more headlocks. There was a lot more mat wrestling compared to some of the past Gabriel Kidd matches. It wasn't bad per se. It was just a little bit different for, for my liking. And, and once again, it just show and this match completely shows just like how Gabriel Kidd just, was just able to just almost effortless, effortlessly get a reaction from the crowd, which you don't get to see a whole lot from young lions and Gabriel Kidd I got to tell you that the butterfly suplex or whatever, I don't know if he has an actual name for it, but that thing is a thing of beauty. And do you think that he's going to, I think he's going to like bulk up a little more and I just can't wait 
to see Gabriel Kidd just do that on some of the more established New Japan, New Japan guys. But this was a good match. This was a good match. It was, it was another instance of Gabriel Kidd showcasing the intensity that he brings, you know, every single time he steps into the ring. Like, it's a lot different than what you see from different young lines. But the crowd, as usual, reacts positively to the match. And obviously, this... Uh, not a whole lot of not, not a whole lot of complex wrestling, but that's what you kind of expect in these types of young line matches. Yeah, it's exactly like what you said. I think with this one compared to the other matches that we've seen so far, this is slightly more not complex. There's just a little bit more going on. There's a, I, I like Yota Suji's using more of his own kind of signature moves i like when he bounces off the rope and doesn't take a step and just bounces and does a splash right onto his opponent like gabriel kid kind of like bruiser brody style but there's i'm what i'm predicting is that throughout this course of like uh, september october matches between these three wrestlers i think each match is going to introduce like one or two extra moves or one or two extra little uh, things to these wrestlers arsenal so that if you watch it in total, you can actually see how they've developed quite literally. Like if, it, if this was a sport, they've added this move or they stopped doing this kind of submission or whatever. But I think that's where they're going is that they want to organically build these three guys up and really base the narrative on what happens inside the ring. And the little bells and whistles that guys like Abel Kidd add outside the ring they really made this match. And especially last night, like you said, he's got such charisma. He can get that crowd a, a pretty uh, timid and uh, what's the like, they're not allowed to cheer that much. And he got them going without much effort. He just has power. He's got lion's lungs. He's very loud. And, uh, but that's not to say that Suji wasn't great either. Suji was awesome in this. It was another short match. Ended it with butterfly suplex i'm waiting to see more i'm excited i guess that's all there is to say on that but we can expect more of these guys throughout the next couple of weeks so that's a good thing cool and then we moved on to the block matches and the first match was a heel versus heel spectacular between taichi and yujiro takahashi uh taichi won this one but um this was a lot of as you say, chicanery, a lot of eye raking and uh, choking and weapons use. And one thing that I thought was really strange is that I think uh, Taichi, oh no, no, sorry, Takahashi had a, a staff or like a metal pole in his hand before the match started and he was choking Taichi with it. But the referee just rang the bell anyway. Like, wouldn't you stop the match or just wait until all the weapons are out of the ring before you? you know, do that. I mean, and not, and, and here's the one thing that you also didn't mention. We got the, the ring hammer used again. That's in right. The G1. Yes. Like, yes. and again, this was not a case where, oh, they did it like behind the referee's back. Like clearly the referee saw Tai Chi use the, the mallet and did absolutely nothing. Well, he did take it from him after he used it. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it still kind of, like, defeats the purpose of, like, well, I mean, he already used it, so. You know, and it's like, 
okay, if you're going to do the ref, uh, it's not even like a ref bump. It's just like the ref is almost invisible. If you're going to do that in one match, then why are you changing it in the other matches? There's, I'm just, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm being nitpicky, but if we're watching a lot of this, there's got to just, I'm sure there's a way to make this smoother and more clever and just to the point where the fans aren't like questioning it constantly. Like, hey, is there really a rule here? Or I know it's easier to do it this way, but I I don't know. It's wearing on me for sure, especially when you're watching these great matches and there's this little black mark. These yeah. points that bug me. And this is not even like a new thing. Like this has been a problem New yeah. Japan has had for a very long time is that there's no clear establishment as to what is the DQ, what is allowed in a match. Like we just saw, like in the first Toriano match, like the referee taking away all of Yano's tape except for one, but Yano still brings out tape out of nowhere and uses it, and he wins the match because of that. And that's that's not a DQ. So it, it just kind of really it, it reflects a lot more poorly on on the referees because I mean, hey. If the referees aren't going to DQ for it, of course you would use a mallet or or use something to choke out your opponent. You're not going to get DQ'd. Yeah. Like, why Why would you even care about the rules? Yeah, But like you said, it's been going on for a long time. And if this is supposed to be a simulation of reality, then I feel like someone would say something eventually, or at least by now. Uh, oh, and I, And then there are wrestlers that are going out of their way to hide things behind the referee's back well you know if taichi can use a hammer in front of the referee why do i have to hide the fact that i'm going to do a low blow or rake a guy's eyes yeah and not not, the theory and we'll get and we'll get into the main event later on but like we got an instance where like there was a low blow but only when the referee when red shoes turned his back uh on jay white that and that was really cool but it was a kind of an opposite philosophy towards the matches so we, yeah we can we can expand on that when we get to the main event yeah i mean really it, like me yeah, and the reason why we are not talking so much about the match itself i mean it was just i did not hate it which maybe is the best compliment you could possibly <laughs> ever give to a tai chi yujiro takahashi match yeah and it wasn't bad at all it no it wasn't i mean the crowd i don't know if they were just being polite about it or they were genuinely into it. But there were times where the crowd was clapping and, you know, almost for a moment kind of seemed like they were into the match. But I, I don't know. Maybe look, Tai Chi ha- has a lot of charisma. I will give them that. But I mean, I think I think people wanted to to cheer Tai Chi. Yes. I think he has more swagger than Yujiro, although uh, I always uh, bust his chops for uh, not showing emotion or whatever. I thought Yujiro was was good in this. And good is like, a, I think that's a huge compliment because I, I like this better than the Okada match, which is kind of crazy to say, which is weird to say. <laughs> we'll it, get into that, but yes, I, I do. Or I mean, Okada versus Yujiro, excuse me. Okay, okay. You no, know, no, not not Okada versus J Y. That's crazy talk. That's just that's simply. <laughs> I was gonna, crazy. I was gonna ask like, okay, I mean, no, no, it no. wasn't like Okada versus J Y wasn't exactly the best version of their match, but I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, I, I thought Yujiro versus Okada, and compared with Yujiro versus Taichi, I, I liked Taichi versus Yujiro more because it was heel versus heel. So at least I was kind of intrigued, and I did like there was one shot where they were just both raking each other's eyes, and I thought of Hammurabi's code. 
eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind kind of thing. It was, it was a nice little uh, brief moment. And then they were hitting each other with hammers and poles. So then that was out the window. Regardless, it was fine. And But like we said, it's more about this referee issue that keeps coming up. And it's not their fault. It's more of a, a bigger, like a macro issue. And I'm sure we'll have to talk about it more. We'll just talk about it more in, even in this show, but throughout the rest of the G1. It's just one of the things that I think we're going to have to keep uh, addressing to, to see where it goes. I don't know. Sometimes it's oh, I, I get where it's going usually, but I don't know. Uh, okay, so next match was really interesting and really cool was Jeff Cobb and Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki won with a gotch pile driver, but um, they packed a lot of action into this in relatively short amount of time. What were your impressions on this, Carlos? Uh, this was a really, really good match. It was another instance where the opponent played into both guys' strengths. I mean, Minoru Suzuki, especially early in this G1, he thrives when he goes up against an opponent that is able to dish out the level of striking and, you know, hard-hitting wrestling that he dishes out on a daily basis. And Jeff Cobb has really shined so far in this G1. May not have the win-loss record that the matches reflect, but this was one of the better matches so far of the G1. Minoru Suzuki, I, I don't know if this is going to be the same case by the time we get into the 7th, 8th, and ninth matches, but Minoru Suzuki arguably may have had the best matches collectively in, in this G1. I mean, not a single match that you can really say was bad. Hell, even the Tai Chi match was compelling in a lot of different ways for reasons that I never would have expected, even if it was a, a an intra-faction match between Suzuki Gun members. So I like this match. I think Jeff Cobb's really integrating himself very, very well into New Japan. I think he's finally starting to get into a real rhythm and it's not just looking like a guy who is just coming on on board every so often. I feel like he genuinely looks like a guy that does belong on the roster. Yeah, I was pretty much going to say the same thing about Cobb. I felt like last year it was really fun to watch him in the G1, but this year I feel like, oh, he's like a New Japan guy or and he really could hang. And I love the beginning of this match with Minoru Suzuki when they just pretty much just went into like a flow wrestling state where they just went and it felt, you know, it was a war. They're not going 100%, but they're going hold for hold in a realistic way, in a way that's not um, practiced. Like, okay, I'm going to do a hammer lock and then I'm going to go under and then you're going to do a hammer. You know, the, it's not a pattern. Um spot as much as it was just they went in and they it felt cool and it felt aggressive and it felt like a wrestling match and from there it built to what it was uh Cobb looked great uh to your point about Suzuki having maybe the most uh great matches in the tournament I would agree I think the only person who edge who would edge him out right now is uh, Tomohiro Ishii I think they're neck and neck but Ishii's matches were We'll get to that soon, but uh, Ishii's on that track too. But Suzuki was awesome in this, and he's showing a lot of uh, – he can really do any kind of match. He can be funny. He can be serious. He can be intense. He can be laid back. And with somebody like Cobb who can do a lot of different things, he they worked like peanut butter and jelly together. I'd like to see a longer match between these two. That would be great, but – um. And I noticed on commentary, they're, they're really putting him over. And they, they're calling Jeff Cobb Mr. Athletic, and they're calling him Suplex Monster. 
So I don't know if they're going to see those on shirts or whatever soon, but they're really hyping up his athleticism and his suplexibility. I mean, so, there's no reason not to, but the guy is an absolute monster and he moves so well that, you know, that for, for that there was a moment in the match where he was just trying to go for like a Saito suplex version of the three amigos where he would just suplex Suzuki, rolls over, suplexes him again, rolls over again, does another Saito suplex. And like, you wouldn't expect a guy like that to, to, do, to do stuff like that. And it's such a joy to watch. He can move. I, I love watching him run from one corner to the other with that jumping elbow where he gets like, uh, you know, four feet off the ground. It's always great. I'm really looking forward to him. I don't know when the match is, but him and Osprey are going to have a match in a couple of weeks and, uh, or maybe sooner than that. And they had a match at the MSG show last year. And I think, I think with where both of their, where they're both at now physically, I think it's going to be a lot more um, special. So we'll see that soon. I have to check the schedule for when they're going to face off against each other. But yeah, that was an awesome match. I'll be a little short, but next match for me, it was my favorite match, I think, of the entire tournament. I think this this rivals the Naito and Tanahashi match. Uh, Kota Ibushi defeated Tomohiro Ishii in, yeah, I think this was my favorite match so far of the entire tournament. What do you this, got on this, Carlos? Yeah, this was... I was not expecting, though I maybe probably should have, but I was not expecting Kota Ibushi to wrestle such a hard-hitting style a, and, like, less acrobatics and a lot more Ishii style of just attacking from in the center of the ring, just landing these vicious blows and kicks. And this match, what I loved most about it was, we both talked about in recent episodes about how Koro Ibushi has kept talking about wanting to become God. And I feel like in this one, we're certainly seeing a different style to Kota Ibushi. There were moments in this match where, I don't want to say like he was no selling, but, but he was taking all these hits and to all these moves from Ishii. And he just didn't quite care. It was, it was sort of a surreal indifference and he just kidding, hitting all these slaps he was going for hard punches, throat punches. I couldn't quite tell if it was punches to the heart or to the throat because the cameras, uh, the angle that the cameras were showing in that match didn't exactly give me a clear view, but it was it was certainly like a more serious version of Kota Ibushi. And, I, and the Kamigoya that he used to end the match was one of the harder Kamigoyas that I've seen in a very long time. There was no hesitation on it, that's for sure. It came right after uh, a sudden, uh, like a V-trigger off the ropes, and he grabbed him and just blasted him in the face with the uh, the knee exposed, the the uh, the knee pad was down. And that part you were talking about, I remember it exactly, when, he, when Ibushi and uh, Ishii were kind of trading chops and blows, and Ibushi reeled back and just used a clearly used a closed fist punch looked like to the upper chest or a throat area ec sold his throat i noticed so wherever it, it was but the, it looked great and the camera angle made it look like 
wow, Ishii really tried to hurt him. That was the kind of intention of that whole, the shot and what uh, Ibushi was trying to do. And like you said, yeah, there was like no selling, but it was also, he was trying to show that he can absorb as much pain as Ishii dishes out and that he can hang with Ishii in that style. I think it's a lot like that. And I noticed that on commentary, they mentioned something about the, they had a match, and I think it was in the G1 in 2013, which was kind of a similar style of match. And for some reason, if you ever want to go back, I, I don't have the, I haven't watched the match in a long time, but there are always callbacks to these guys' G1 matches when they have a match with each other. There's always like a basis. I think there's more of a basis in the next match we'll talk about with Osprey and Takagi, but so much of those moves, those sequences that they do, they the counters and escapes are like responses or callbacks to things that happened in the match before. So there is a kind of they're, they're following a logic, like a uh, something that's based in a kind of reality, and it really shined through here. And it was trying to prove how tough Ibushi is now. And I think one of my favorite points in this match where they were lying on the ground and they were just kicking and slapping each other like they were two kids, like two brothers fighting over uh you know toys when they were kids they were just it was I, so realistic it, it was but i don't know why but for some reason i just it, it felt like a little it wasn't even comedic but i just couldn't help but chuckle at the like if they were they were trying to like hurt each other but the speed of those kicks from when they were uh, lying prone on the mat it was like slow enough where i could then like this was like a little bit funny in, in my opinion but but no, this was, was. But I get the intentions, and I get what they were trying to do, and and then it, like immediately afterwards, they were on their knees and they were just slapping each other. And then the more they got into it, Ibushi was the one that was gaining the upper hand, which is something that you wouldn't expect in an exchange between Ishii and Ibushi. Right, right. I think those slaps and kicks. I don't know if they that part was. They were trying to really hurt each other as much as they were trying to embarrass and disrespect each other, which you see, sometimes you see that even in the workplace or behind closed doors at certain places, people, uh, it's a little rough. There's, There's that kind of violence and it really came through in this match. And it added such a cool flavor to it. And, and like you said, it, it really helped build that idea that Ibushi is different this year. He wants to become a god or he's just, he's transforming into something he wasn't or something. He, he was something last year and the years before, and now something's different and he's tougher and he can push through. And he, he, he did a lot of stuff that I've never really seen him do. He did a brain buster in this as a counter to uh, Tomohiro Ishii's brain buster and like you said, it finished with an unreal kamgoye, knee strike to the face. And I don't know if you noticed after the match, after the belt, they were uh, Ishii was still going after Ibushi. Did you catch that? Yeah, it was like he was knocked yeah. out still. Yeah, it was like it was a nice little touch to something that you wouldn't really quite expect. I would really love if uh, if somehow Ibushi has the title sometime later this year and they can have a that match again but for a title or heavyweight title intercontinental whatever i i give me that asap 
I mean, who to say that, you know, Ibushi or, or even let's say uh, Ibushi, you know, beats Suzuki and then that becomes the title program later this year and Ibushi wins the never open weight title and then you that's how you get a rematch. That's cool, too. That works for me. There are a lot of ways where it's like if you go that way, hey, I'll be pleased. If you go the other way, I'll be pretty pleased, too. That's the that's the nice thing about the New Japan booking right now is that they've set it up so that whatever happens, the backups are pretty damn good too so it's very thoughtful booking and i think it's really it's booked pretty far in advance from what i know like pretty like more than a year sometimes two years but the pandemic threw things off and that is what it is but hey we're all satisfied so far so that's cool and moving on to the semi-main was the rematch from last year's best of the super juniors shingo takagi got his revenge on will osprey in a longer match uh he used uh, Last of the Dragon to put Osprey away clean. And this this was all over the place. And this was really athletic and crazy, but different in tone compared with the Ibushi and Ishii match from just before. It's almost felt like it was Osprey sort of reverting back into the junior heavyweight version of himself. Especially if you look at that, the opening three minutes of that match where I got some serious Osprey Ricochet vibes where both of these guys were just blocking and dodging everything like almost telepathically. You see guys in moments where uh, I'm trying to think uh, right off the top of my head, um, Osprey just doing the, the, the backflip off the ropes and then just jumping onto a failed German by, by Shingo Takagi, and then Osprey goes for an os cutter, and and Shingo Takagi just blocks it. I mean, the match itself, I, I will say that this is a condensed poor man's version of the Best of the Super Juniors final that they had last year. It was still a really, really good match. A little surprised that this ended up being the longest match on the show. And but there were some great spots. The the I guess the, the I get you if you for WWE fans that sort of may remember this like the Shane McMahon like coast to coast like springboard uh, drop kick like to the other from one corner to the other the pumping bomber uh, jumping bomber from Shingo Takagi always looks phenomenal especially when it's against Osprey but I don't know this match and I kind of feel like this has been like part of a larger thing throughout this G1 that the matches are really good, but they're just like a notch below from what we know that they can do. Like they weren't like, this was another case where it was really good, but it just felt just short of being like a classic. Yeah. I don't know what exactly it was that gave me that feeling too. It was great. Nonetheless, all of everything was great. There was, so some Will Ospreay cheekiness in the beginning, like he was trying to be cute with Takagi. He was like trying to shake his hand and say, oh, guys, boss. And that, yeah, that put me off a little bit. But once they got into it, it was great. You can't deny either of their athleticism. It's just some of the stuff they're doing is, it's insane. And the, the sequences are, the chains are really long. The reverse counter, reverse counter. Some of those things lasted, you know, for, for, it felt like 30 seconds. And a lot of those, from what I remember, were kind of callbacks to things that happened in the match last June. Um, they, I would have to kind of look 
back at both matches and look at them side by side, but there were, yeah, there were cool callbacks and references and quotes to those other matches. And in the end, uh, Takagi got his victory, got his victory in his, his home Dragon Gate area in Kobe and Hyogo. I'm sure the fans there were happy. I thought it was, a, it was, it was good. Um, but I can't say it was as good as last year. No, not I, even close. The stakes were way higher. It was a different story. This is just part. This is they're both heavyweights in the G one, and it's a rematch from last year. And I feel and, like there's a this is they're going to have a rubber match at some point. I don't know when, but it feels like they. There's a part of that thinking back after the match. I'm thinking maybe they don't want to give make this the absolute best match possible because if you're going to put Shingo over. The series is now 1-1. You're going to have to do a rubber match. I think that's when we're going to see something closer to the best of the Super Juniors final that we saw last year. Yeah, I have no uh, problem with a rematch with those two, and I'm sure they would tear it down once again. Yeah, sometimes it's – last year they didn't have any time limits or whatever. They were the main event. That was it. That was the end of the tournament, so they probably felt more freed up to – if they needed to go longer, they – will just do what they want. You can tell when wrestlers feel kind of loosened up and they don't have a limit on what they're going to do or how long they're going to go. And here it was a semi-main. So there's, it felt like there was a little more urgency to get everything in and nail everything, which they did. It was great, but um, it is what it is. Uh, we're, we're being uh, fussy because uh, <laughs> we're, we're critics. So it's great. Yeah, but, the, but don't let our, our criticisms and nitpicks of the mat, uh, of this, um, you know, take away from the fact that we both really, really liked this match and it was really good. It's just that we know we know these guys can do so much more. Oh, but Takagi was fantastic in this. Yes, fantastic. And like you said, those pumping bombers just—they looked great. And Osprey was spinning like a uh, like a top after some of those. It looked really cool. And then finally was Jay White and Okada the rematch. Was this a rubber match? I think it was at least. I think, uh, or maybe back. I think this, they, may, this may have been this may have been the third match, maybe fourth. I'd have to look back, but this they right. definitely had at least two matches. But their most recent one was last year at MSG. I thought this. Well, what did you think of this this one, this final? So, number one again, just harking back to what we said the last match. This match was really good, but not as good as we know it as it could be. This was not at the same level as the MSG match. The match, oddly enough, wasn't even like didn't even reach 19 minutes. It was like thing like 18 minutes and 28 seconds. And the first two or three minutes of this match, JY was doing his usual match starts, rolls out of the ring, teases he's coming back in, rolls out of the ring again. And at times, this felt more the, – the match felt like it was concerning itself more with harking back to the fact that they were in Kobe and this was the same arena almost two years to the day that Jay White uh, and, and Gato turned on Okada. And, and this match was just littered with Jay White just constantly – referencing that and and i get it this was i expected this to happen because this was something that uh, jay white had been talking about uh, right before the g1 but is this just was not 
it didn't quite necessarily click for me. It never reached that like second gear that I was expecting to get. The later in the match, Okada was trying to go for the money clip, the the, the Cobra Clutch, that submission that he was trying to go for, and it still doesn't look like he's been able to learn to seamlessly, you know, apply it. Like it still feels a little bit forced. And then there was, and maybe maybe you can. Uh, actually elaborate on this because it didn't quite, the camera didn't really quite show. So late in the match, Okada was going for the money clip. And then we hear a sound, but I didn't quite see like what happened. Like I'm, I'm guessing maybe Gato threw something that distracted Red Shoes and turned his back on him. JY just hits him, hits him down below, goes for Switchblade and then wins. And it just... I don't know. It just didn't quite feel like it got to that next level in terms of quality. It felt like it was just Jay White taunting Okada for almost 20 minutes about the, the th- about just turning on him. That was definitely a big, big part of this match was that he was you, uh, Jay was using the, the turn two years ago to get into Okada's head and, and make that the distraction point of the match. And he did do his usual two minute opener where he rolls in and out of the ring and taunts. I think for he's a heel and for the, the function of what that does, it always ends up working to his advantage. And now the way he's doing it because these matches are so much more condensed, he's doing it really quickly. So I think it works more when he's kind of in and out and he has that nervous energy where he's just screaming, almost rambling but it's in character and it's it, it makes sense within the context of the match but at the end i don't recall exactly but i thought it was gato screaming something to the referee or maybe he threw something yeah i don't know i have to look back but it was like the- a very sharp sound like i didn't think it was gato screaming like it was like something that just like hit the hit the rain canvas and it was like really sharp but it's just like Oh, maybe he we threw a qu- chair in the ring or something. Maybe. Like, he didn't, like, we weren't able to see it. So that's why we're, like, speculating. But the camera didn't quite show exactly what happened. It just shows, you can hear the sound. And then Red Shoes just turns his back on him. And then, boom, like, automatically, Jay White just goes on instinct and hits Okada down low. Yeah, although I, I guess I didn't process it fully because, to be honest, that's what I expected to happen. I didn't expect Okada to, there's no reason for Okada to win this. And there's no reason for Okada to, I mean, even if he doesn't have a great G1, he's still, he's in a point now in 2020 in September where he's Kazuchika Okada and he loses a couple matches he's made still. And as long as all the matches are still good. And I thought this match was really good, but um, I I couldn't really see him winning. I wouldn't see how that would make sense for the rest of the the story of the G1, at least for Jay, because it looks like they're aiming for Jay and Ibushi in the A block finals. That's what it seems like it's gearing towards. It seems like Ibushi and Jay White are the two A block guys with the, uh, the strongest stories of the G1 so far. And, and which is funny considering that we're not even considering the guy who's also who, the only other guy who's undefeated after three matches, which is Tai Chi, Tai Chi at yeah. three and no, and and it's funny. And we, 
and interesting how we're not talking about Tai Chi, but it just goes to show that the point that we've been mentioning in the last couple of podcasts is that just because we're seeing one thing happen in the early part of the G1, it doesn't mean that we can accurately predict what's going to happen towards the end. And, and it kind of got me thinking, like, Jay White's 3-0, and I do think he's going to win the G1, and Tai Chi's 3-0. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, okay, how often do these does a great start equate to a, a G1 win? So now here comes the the I guess you call this the Carlos stat of the day. But All first, right. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna introduce the the stat in a trivia question. Okay. How uh, since 2000, how many times has the G1 winner started at three and zero? And and granted, right around like what 2008, 2009 is when they kind of changed the format. Like there's been a little bit of format changes with the G1 in terms of the tournament, how many matches there are. But how? But since 2000. How many G1 winners actually started the tournament 3-0? I'll guess five. You're close, and it's still higher. Only four guy, only four times, and actually two of them was from one guy. They've actually started 3-0, and we have not had one since 2014. So I actually want you to guess how many, uh, who are the guys that actually okay. did it? Nagata, Yuji. Yuji Nagata was definitely one. Nope. No. Nope. Oh. Never. Okada? Yes. 2014. Not Tanahashi, because last time you said the past couple of times he started at like 0-2 or 0-3. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, some of his G1 uh, tournament winning years, he didn't actually have a great start. I think his best start was, I believe, 2-0-1. I can't quite remember which year was. I think it was 2007 that he finished. They started like 2-0-1. So he not quite three and zero, but not necessarily uh, like a one and two start. Okay, so we have Okada and let me guess, was it Jay White? No, well Jay Jay White hasn't won the G one. Oh, he has. Oh, because he hasn't won. Right, right, right. Okay, so it's just people who have won the G one. Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Okada, um, Shinsuke Nakamura. Nope. Hmm. 2000s, so 20 years. Okay, okay. Nakanishi? No, he did not win a G1 in, in the 2000s. Oh, yeah, I'm mixing the late 90s. Okay, okay. So Okada. <laughs> Those early 2000s and 90s G1s, up to a certain point, they kind of start mel- uh, meshing together. Yeah. Okay, winners. So I have one. I have Okada. And there are two more guys who. Won the G1 after starting 3-0. D- is it Naito from 2012 or 13? No. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> to, fill me in. I only got one of three, so I'm going to go one of three on this. So 2010, Satoshi Kojima. And mm. the guy that did it twice was Hiroyoshi Tenson in 2004 and 2006. I wanted to say that, but I didn't <laughs> think he... I only thought he won the title. I didn't know, I forgot if he won the G1 or not, but he had... Yeah. Three-time winner of the nice. G1. Ay, ay, ay. That, well, that's good. Yeah, so it, it's that, funny. I would have imagined, like, looking at the list of guys since 2000, I for sure thought Masahiro Chono was going to be one of them. 
I was going to say that, but when you said the 2000s, I knew by then he wasn't doing many. I don't think he was doing, if he was doing G1, he wasn't like doing Mr. G1, like that gimmick by then. His knees were out. And uh, he was, I remember he was doing uh, different types of matches. By then he was doing those death matches with Onita sometimes. But yeah, that's that's actually, that's like, I really, I actually thought I was going to get like a bigger number. I thought we were going to like, eight or nine times but four was actually like really really surprising i wonder if it'll factor in because like you said with okada then who knows this could be that's another way to kind of set okada up if they wanted to rebuild him for something because uh his record isn't so hot right now Mm -hmm. in the g1 so we'll see there's a lot of different stories you could tell with the numbers for sure. Yeah, and, and one thing I appreciate on, on commentary, at least on the English side, is that they usually use numbers in history to sort of further tell the story of guys in the G1. Yes, and shout out to Chris Samsa and SportedProWrestling.com for using the hits those guys up with all those stats, and he's been helping out Fight Game a lot too, so I hope to have him on the show soon. Um, but yeah, those are great, and I, I want to watch rewatch some of these shows with the English commentary. I know they're coming up like in a day or two, but like you said, it adds another dimension. If, and they've been doing a great job; they always do, especially during the G one. So, okay, so that that was the latest G one. I wanted to quickly go over this week's New Japan Strong as well. That was on Friday night, which was the kickoff of um, New Japan Lions Break Crown, which was a single elimination tournament that kicked off. It's got eight of the not young lion guys, but the eight wrestlers who've been working with the new Japan dojo for a while and have been appearing on the new Japan strong shows pretty much all summer since they started airing. And I think it was June with the young lions break collision and all the other names that this show has had, but they, so we had eight matches with generally guys that you don't see too often, if ever, unless you watch the show. So did you have any general thoughts on the New Japan Strong Show from this week, Carlos? I, you can make a strong case that this was the best episode of, of New Japan Strong yet. I would agree, it, yeah. Yeah, sure. it was, I mean, so it was, as you mentioned, the, the start of the Lions Break Crown Tournament. So it was, I guess you want to call this like the U.S. version of the Young Lion Cup. Wow, really? I mean, I guess technically only like actual young line was Clark Connors, but he's been around for, for a little while. So he doesn't necessarily fit the, you know, the young line mold, but it was really, really good. I mean, arguably the best match was the Danny Limelight Bear Brown match, or at the very least Danny Limelight had the best showing out of the eight guys in this match. So it was Logan Regal beating the DKC, Clark Connors beating Jordan Clearwater, Danny Limelight beating... Barrett Brown and Blake Christian beating Adrian Quest. The best thing about these matches is that they were so good, but they weren't at no point where they felt that they felt like too long. And it was one of those cases where you're going, it made you want to watch more. Like we, we could go, you know, not necessarily going match by match, but every single match, I think you should be able to, you know, you should check it out because a lot of the matches, they were fairly short, but they were pretty good for the most part. Yeah, it was all action. I mean, they're short matches, but New Japan is really, I, 
I mean, I've been watching them for a long time, but this is the year where they're really taking the matches and compressing the time. This show lasted in total front to back, like about 45 minutes. So you got four matches. You had promos that lasted 20, 30 seconds, but forwarded all of the stories for next week or two weeks from now. Like in the Danny Limelight and Barrett Brown match, all Danny Limelight had to do during that match to extend that story he's got going with Rocky Romero, it happened right in the middle of the match. He did some crazy dive over the top. He landed on Barrett Brown with the plancha. He got up into the camera's face, jaw jacked a little bit and called out Rocky Romero. That's all he needed to do. And Kevin Kelly took care of the rest. And just, there you go. You got one little thread to pull on a week or two down the road. I love that kind of, um, booking or storied or like just putting a show together like that you don't need to really do much more than that put the idea out there let the announcers extend it milk it and um, kind of make it better and go from there uh and again i really agree with you on limelight and barrett brown as the match of the night i think it's just because they had the time to really kill it and they totally did and like you were saying about some of these wrestlers they're not exactly young lions from what they said on commentary. Barrett Brown's been around wrestling for 10 years. So, and he, and he definitely wrestles like that. He wrestles like he, he knows what the hell he's doing. Both of them look great. Limelight was doing some things that I've never seen before, uh, as far as high flying stuff. And in the last match, which was also great with between Adrian quest and Blake Christian that finished with uh, Blake Christian doing a move that I don't think I've ever seen before. I guess I'll call it a, a twisting trust fall splash. Did you catch that? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, I think maybe that it's about the best way you can describe it because I don't know. Yeah. It was very, very unique and like, and, and it just goes to show that these matches, they do provide a little something different from the usual wrestling shows that we, you see on Monday nights, on Wednesday nights, on Friday nights, but not necessarily naming them, or even on New Japan's Japan side. Hmm. It felt like a new brand. It felt like a different show. It felt like, okay, this is New Japan, but all of these guys had their own flavor. Like I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the breakdown right now, the brackets, like Logan Regal, like the DKC, I don't know who, I can't really compare him to anybody. He's got his own flavor and it's not a new Japan flavor because he's doing some weird like pseudo Kung Fu-ish stuff. And he had a video this week that had Kung Fu guys flying around. It, it wasn't a, like a traditional Japanese martial art looking thing. It was something different he's doing. And he's got the long hair and the beard. It just, it looks different. It feels fresh. Jordan Clearwater and Clark Connors, they had a fresh feel. They were just going all action for six minutes. Same with everybody in it. Like Quest, Christian, Regal, Logan Regal looked great. It's just, you didn't see anything that, you saw a couple things that you might not have never seen before, like Blake Christian flying in the air like he's on Tony Hawk Pro Skater, skater on a vert ramp. Uh, you got great matches from guys you might not have ever seen before. This is a great show. If you just want to watch wrestling, you don't want to get too invested in it. This is like perfect. 45 minutes, you're in and out. And like you said, it makes you want to watch more. And I'm definitely going to try to watch next week. Well, I am going to watch next week because I'm writing it up on the Observer site. And you can read more about last week's on the Observer site. Wait, and, and the one thing that I think New Japan is really starting to learn fairly well is that they were able to do really good matches without necessarily going 20, 25 minutes every single time. 
But that's the one thing about this G1. The matches have been really good. Maybe not the absolute best uh, version of the matches that we could see, but they've been able to do it with all, almost all of the matches going like 15 to 18 minutes. Yeah, it shows if you bust ass, you can get a great match within six minutes. I, I think uh, what Clark Connors and Jordan Clearwater on the Lions break show this week, that wasn't any worse than anything we saw from the Young Lions on the G1 shows. And those were and, great. And uh, to be honest, it was just as good as some of the six, seven minute matches we've seen in the G1 already. If not, it, it was probably better in some cases. I'm sure some people would say that too. So this isn't like, it doesn't feel like a, a minor league or a developmental show either. It doesn't feel like these guys don't know what they're doing. It feels like they know what they're doing. They just haven't had the chance to show it yet, which makes it really exciting. And the fact that it's just so easy to watch. You throw it on, it's not even an hour, no gaga, no fluff. You're out and we're already talking about it and looking forward to the next uh, match. So that's that. And before we wrap today, I wanted to quickly just do a, a brief recap on what's going on with the All Japan Champions Carnival. And now we've been covering a lot of different, we've been covering the G1, but Carlos has been covering a lot of boxing. I was covering UFC recently. So there's a lot of stuff going on and I am not entirely caught up on the Champion Carnival. I am caught up until halfway through the most recent uh, match between uh, Ikemen Crucio and Kumarashi, and I haven't even finished that. But Carlos, you are more caught up than I am. So, what were your general thoughts from? I guess we kind of left off last week between day four and day five. And the day four show was a Corquin show, and uh, day five show was the one from last night. So, what were your, I guess, your top picks or most important kind of uh, takeaways from the most recent shows? So, the one thing from that we just kind of saw from night four is that we got a very clear idea. That night five, the really important stuff was just going to be two matches between the essentially the A block and B block finals on that very same show. So A block, you had Zeus and Jake Lee, and the whole story with them is that they've been in a way they were kind of trying to do something like Okada doing. They're trying to introduce more submission style finishes to their matches, and they've been able to win every single match up to this point. So it was a battle of three and zero guys, and then block B, you had. Kento Miyahara, who was coming back from the first day loss to Yoshitatsu, go up against Shuji Ishikawa, who was who started off great, then was starting to kind of fall flat just a little bit. So it was a question of uh, was Kento Miyahara going to be able to further uh, continue the momentum and the run that he was going after the Yoshitatsu loss. And both of the matches were pretty good for the most part. It was you know, with the Jake Lee and Zeus match, there was a lot of submissions, a lot of ground and pound. It was, you know, Zeus was, his arm was getting worked by Jake Lee, and there was some really, really damn good chops in this match, which is what you kind of expect from, from Zeus at this point, if you ever seen him wrestle. And it was good, maybe not the best match possible, but it was a solid, solid a co-main event to the Kento Miyahara match. And so Zeus beats Jake Lee and finishes the A block with eight points with a perfect 4-0 record. So that's going to be, that's actually going to be very interesting to watch. And then Kento Miyahara, Shuji Ishikawa. Uh, I mean, Kento Miyahara was 
you know, kind of exploded on late into the match. It was, it was, uh, there was a good spot in the match where Miyahara was doing a, a cross face against the ring post that I thought that was really, really unique and really interesting. But Miyahara was, throughout the match, he was selling very, very well. He was doing real good, uh, you know, against a guy like Shuji Ishikawa who just, no, who just just excels at like smash mouth or doing like strong moves on on his opponent. Miyahara is maybe the perfect opponent for a guy like Shuji. So Kenta Miyahara ends up winning the match, and he wins the the B block despite losing to Yoshitatsu on day one. So we got October five, the finals between. Kenta Mihara and Zeus. That is interesting because last year, I believe it was 2019 or maybe yes. 2018, these two were uh, trading the Triple Crown with each other and they had some really great matches. Really, uh, probably Zeus's best matches ever. And Zeus has been around for a while and he's a good wrestler, but he really started coming over that hump when he, at least to me, I noticed it when him and Kento Miyahara were tearing it down with the Triple Crown at stake. I'm looking forward to that because Zeus has looked awesome recently. And in this tournament, his matches have been pretty short. Um, the Suwama match was like maybe seven minutes. Yeah, like, so a lot, a lot of Suwama's matches in this tournament was actually pretty short. That that's another story. I don't know where they're gonna go with it, but it's definitely something they have in mind. I don't know what what's uh, what's up, but it's interesting for sure. And they're definitely booking Zeus like like a monster. Uh, so let's see where it goes. And yeah. I, he has his new group, the purple purple haze, the group of him and uh, uh, Shigehiro Irie and um, uh, oh gosh, it's uh, Maruyama with a mask. I forget. He's he. It's one of the wrestlers that's wearing a mask now. He's doing kind of funny heel gimmick. I can't think of his name. Uh, it slips my mind. <laughs> and some uh, there's a lot of names that are just slipping in and out of my mind right now. I need a, a nap. I think. Yeah, but, we uh, both had a really long, long weekend just covering wrestling and, and me personally boxing, doing a essentially like a ten hour marathon yeah, on oh Saturday. God. But but yeah. I, it's funny, I never would have thought that, like, you know, I'm sure Miyahara was going to do really well during this champion carnival. And obviously, you can't really go into recent history and, and going to say, well, Miyahara is not going to win because they don't often do repeat winners. But this is a very different tournament. And you can do, you can, you can go down the well and go Miyahara again. It's not the first time they've done repeat winners. It's just been a little more than a decade since we had a guy win the champion carnival twice. That's true. But again, we have to think about this tournament with, uh, we kind of have to put an asterisk on it because they did change the uh, format. Like we were talking about earlier when new Japan changed their format, this was a really condensed version of what we usually see. Like, even if you look at last year's, it was the carnival was always spread out at least over three, four weeks. But um, this was, was it even ten shows? I don't even think so. No, this is this has only been five total five? shows. Yeah. yeah, five total shows for the first round, and then we got the finals. 
I, I guess the difference is that they're also do, they're building uh, new angles on the undercard, and a lot of the other guys are wrestling, so it's more of a filled out show. That's the big difference. This is more of an all Japan. You know, you're getting the full shows, and I, I would like to go back and watch some of the tag matches more closely. There's there's some really good up and coming guys on the card, especially like Yusuke Okada and um, Hokuto from. He's one of the All Japan Dojo guys that's with the Wrestle One team now, and fans Terry Terry Blaze or whatever. But there's there's good talent. It's just not enough time. But it's it's a good problem to have in our position. Yeah, and, and you and. Not gonna lie, I actually thought you were good that they were going to get uh put Jake Lee over in this one because well, first of all, he was my pick to win the whole thing, and now I got egg in my face. But I, I feel confident saying I felt good at the very least with the fact that Jake Lee was right up there almost to the very end. And I thought you could have done something interesting with the story because last year's final, I believe, was Jake Lee versus Kento Miyahara. Yeah. I think you know what I don't. I think that's what I haven't seen the match or anything, but you could kind of tell Jake is going to be in good hands booking wise. I, I think he's really oh, yeah. popular. I think he's in a position where I know I haven't seen the match, but I'm sure e- either of these guys who if Kenta wins or if Zeus wins, Jake has uh, built-in history with both of them. So I think whoever put it together knew that whoever wins this. Jake is probably going to be waiting in the wings for them, and we're going to have some great matches already set up down the road. That that kind of forward-thinking booking where whenever this happens, so it'll be almost October, so the next big October show might be the first defense against, say, Jake Lee, the runner-up in the Champion Carnival. You can see like the, the symmetry in a lot of these booking and like how they book these because because of the numbers, because of the points, and because of the dates, you can kind of see based on that, which is cool because we all know that wrestling isn't a quote-unquote real sport. Yeah, yeah, but this is all real. Numbers are real. The booking, the choices were made are real, and we're talking about it. I'm real, I think. <laughs> That's me. I'm not a hologram. Um, so it's cool. And I'm, I look forward to seeing what they do, not only in the future, but uh, soon in and for the finals. So uh, so that's it. That's our deluxe edition of the G1 cast this week. Is there anything that we missed, Carlos? Uh, not exactly. I mean, this is a... Uh, it's, been a it's been a weird week because we were doing, you know, a couple of shows uh, daily. But now we just had, like, a few days break. And then we're going to have another couple of days break because we're going to have... We don't have a show until i believe wednesday i think that's the next g1 show and it's gonna be third uh, third day of the b block yep at corican hall so it'll be fun nice packed house there are gonna be two shows i'm looking at the schedule now there are two shows at corican so in japan on japan time tuesday our time is wednesday uh tokyo that's gonna be b block and then one more day at corican for the a block that's wednesday or our thursday and then in Niigata, the next day, which is about mm, a couple hours on the bullet train from Tokyo. And this place, this is where Sanada is from. And Sanada always gets really, really great reactions in Niigata. So I'm looking, I think he even has a shirt that says like party on Nagoka or something, but uh, that'll be on Thursday. Weekend, there won't be any shows. There's going to skip the weekend and it'll be a Monday show after that. And then we'll be in the penultimate week and then we'll 
be podcasting a lot more. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's okay. the first week. Of, the first week of October is going to be insane. But I'm ready because we got these uh, these shows under our belt. I think we got a lot of um, a, a lot of the big matches. They're they've either happened or by the time like after this week, the Corkin matches are going to be the like last of the the dream matches that I think all of us are waiting for. And then usually goes into the week where they go to places like Takamatsu and it's a little more quiet and the stakes are a little lower and we kind of know what's happening with the points and who's going to be where by the end of it. And then it explodes one more time. That's my experience with it. But you know what? Like they, like we said, they've changed the format of this. There's a lot of quick matches, quick cars. So anything can happen. I don't know. But, um, I guess that's it um, for now. Um, let's call it. And we'll be back later this week on Wednesday with the Cork and B-Block wrap-up. Okay, so for Carlos, I'm Justin. We'll see you later. All right, want to thank John LaRocca, of course, my uh, my, my partner uh, on, this, on this show, going all the way back to when we really got this thing going. John has been awesome, and he's always available to break things down in a way that a lot of people really can't break down wrestling because, you know, he's done it He's done it in, in a major way with, with booking his own promotion, with, um, you know, running his own promotion. So his insight is is up there with, uh, with the top minds in, in the world. Um, and then also want to thank Justin and Carlos for uh, continuing this project that when they first told me that they wanted to do this, I was like, are you sure this is a big project? And they were like, yep, we're in. We want to give it a shot. So G1 cast, I think, has been really good. And if you are into the G1, uh, you know, I've, I've only heard very positive feedback uh, from uh, from folks who listen to the G1. And they, what they also say is that Carlos and Justin's chemistry just keeps getting better and better. So thanks and shout out to both of those guys. And they're going to have their hands full because this week there are shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So they're going to be busy. I don't know if that means three shows. They may decide to, you know, to do two and, and, and combine two of the nights together, which is completely fine with me because I know how, how uh, crazy doing multiple podcasts a week is. So if that's what they want to do, I'm game. But they may also decide to do three shows. So if they do, uh, you will see all three in the feed. I'll probably tack on Thursday's show, or I'm sorry, Wednesday's show onto my show with John. So you may you may get a little bit of extended show with the Gcast on the end. But anyways, thanks to all three of those great men. I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.